Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Markets. Got any strong feelings, Corey Johnson, about oil yes. and gas? Oh, it, yes. <laughs> oil and gas. But oil and gas, yes, I do. Uh, and so does Ernst & Young. They did a survey recently of consumers... Uh, and age is a factor. Um, it, it often is. It often is. We're going to work. We're going to dig into <laughs> and not that. just an oil and gas. <laughs> That's so true. All right. We'll get to that in just a moment. First up, though, back to uh, what's going on in the world of business on this Monday. Here is Charlie Factor. Oh. Charlie Factor. Hi. Hey, Charlie Factor. Uh, hi there, Carol Master. Let me focus on oil because that's where I want to begin right now. West Texas Intermediate Crude, uh, just below $49 a barrel, $48.89 right now. It is up 105 a barrel, higher by 2.2%. Crude oil surging today after Saudi Arabia and Russia said they favor prolonging oil output cuts by global producers through the first quarter of 2018, setting a firmer time frame for a likely extension of the curves. Javier Blas is Bloomberg's chief energy correspondent in London. Well, we don't know. This is very similar to what uh, happened with central banks when they cut interest rates to zero and they embarking quantitative easing. What is next? What is the exit strategy? And that is one thing that is concerning the market because come the middle of 2018, we can go back to a price war with everyone is trying to flood the market. And that's one of the reasons the market is not satisfied with OPEC because it has not yet articulated what is the exit strategy of these production cuts. And today, though, West Texas Intermediate Crude up 2.2%. The National Association of Realtors says U.S. home price gains quickened in the first quarter as sales strengthened in a market star for listings. The national median price of a previously owned single-family home was $232,100, up 6.9% from a year earlier, and the fastest growth in almost two years. The 10-year down 4.30 seconds yield there, 2.34%. Gold up 3.30 the ounce to 12.31, a gain of three-tenths of 1%. S&P up 8 to 23.99, up four-tenths of 1%. Dow Industrials up 73, up four-tenths of 1%. NASDAQ up 19, a gain of three-tenths of 1%. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Charlie Pellet with a Bloomberg Business News Flash. Thank you so much. You are listening to Bloomberg Market. Tower power? Gotta be. Why not? Uh, the, the issues around oil and gas and, and uh, uh, the consumer's notions of oil and gas is something that Ernst & Young has looked at. Uh, Deborah Byers joins us right now, U.S. energy leader, who uh, helped with this uh, poll of consumers. And Deborah, first of all, why did uh, Ernst & Young do this poll? What are you trying to find out? Well, I think uh, we we hadn't done a, a broad poll. The industry's done some polls sort of within their own communities, but we wanted to get out to uh, everyone sort of across the region and find out what's changed. Given the shale revolution, there's a lot more discussion in the media about oil prices. There's production in different parts of, of the United States that, you know, we're, we're not used to the industry. And so we thought it would be very interesting at this time, given the transformation that's taking place globally, to find out. So what is the future of energy in the minds of, you know, sort of this younger generation, and how does that match up with the executive's perspective? Why is it it so important to kind of, you know, tap into how consumers, young and old, feel about oil and gas? 
Well, if you think about it, there, you know, this is the generation. So, you know, we looked at the, the millennial generation, Generation Z. This is generation that's going to be uh, coming into the workforce. They're going to be making, uh, going to the voting booths. And, and um, with the advent of, of social media, one of the things that we were theorizing is, you know, what, what, where do they get their most, most of their information comes from social media outlets? And how does that inform their consumer choice and their voting uh, choices? And you see that it'll impact companies, you know, future business operations, the future of demand, and frankly, you know, the workforce itself and their interest in coming in and working in the oil and gas sector. You gave yourself away as a Houstonian by pronouncing it ull. But I wonder if if the uh, – uh, which I'm all for. But I wonder if uh, – when I first read the study, uh, I, I just looked at it and thought, well, I, want, I bet the kids in Houston have a different take than the kids in Berkeley, California or something. Uh, or you know, and, and was it that different? I say the kids, but the, the millennial uh, notion of, of the importance of oil and gas. Well, it was interesting. You know, uh, it, we, you know, it was regional, and there was a, a greater proportion, certainly in the southwest, um, but we also got views from the west and northeast, and it really broke more based on age versus sort of the regional differences. And, you know, everyone sort of says, look, it's important, uh, about 80% agreed it's important to the economy, it's a major employer, but um, when you get down to uh, the Millennials, only about 3% had sort of a positive overall view of oil and gas. And the majority of that group that you think of as sort of taking seats in power in the future um, feel that it is the fuel of the future. And so there was a little bit of, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, everyone is looking at, you know, when's that new sort of clean uh, source of fuel, whether it's for your car or for, for, or for uh, the lights. Is is it around the corner? How long is that? And I think both the industry as well as the general consumer population says, hey, as soon as that's available, we should go to that because that's good for the environment. It's good overall. I think the difference is, you know, how long that's going to take. How do you think this might impact, though, how oil and gas industry executives, Deborah, um, actually invest well, it's interesting because um, you already see the the executives. I mean, they understand that there's huge change going on in the sector, and if if you talk to them, they also agree we should be transitioning to a cleaner burning fuel. Um, their timeline is going to be a little different, and and this is where you could have some misalignment between uh, policy and its implication and its direct cost to society. So this is not just, you know, it's going to hurt the sector. If you have policy that's a little short-sighted or, you know, the time is not ripe to sort of mandate certain things, then you end up with very high costs uh, and, you know, energy that might not be affordable to everybody. So this is where I think it's very important. And with with the advent of shale and and you know just the the abundance of this resource i think it's important to have consumers feel uh, who are voting that you know this whole notion of social license to operate is very important so if you've got mm-hmm. um, you know a group that is very opposed to the sector then you may have problems in developing uh, the resource in an economical way. Can well, I, let me ask, oh, go ahead, Carol. Well, just Please. real quickly, I mean, the results of this, Deborah, are you guys, you know, you consult firms. Are you telling energy companies to think about more alternative forms of energy as a result of what you're finding? 
Well, I think we're we're, we're you know we're saying two things. One, uh, messaging is important. Uh, even the industry executives, you know, it was something like three or four percent of them think that they've done a good job, really messaging uh, to the public. Uh, about about the you know the importance of this and how um, you know why it's important to society. So I think communicating better so that you can have more informed policy making. It, that's one thing. And then I think secondly is right. to say, hey, you know, what is the future going to be and how are you going to attract these young Got people it. that might not have positive views? Deborah Byers over at Ernst and Young joining us on the phone from Houston. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio. This is the latest in world and national news headlines with Bloomberg News anchor Nathan Hager in our 99.1 studios in Washington, D.C. Thank you, Corey. The Senate will hear from Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein this Thursday about the firing of FBI Director James Comey. An aide to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says Rosenstein has accepted McConnell's invitation to brief the entire Senate. Democrats, though, still want to hear from Comey himself. One thing Democrats are going to ask him is not only, um, you know, to respond to the president talking about a tape, but also to ask to clarify this question of whether the president asked Director Comey for his loyalty and what kinds of things he asked Director Comey about the Russia investigation, which, as we know, uh, ensnares some of the president's uh, associates, including former National Security Advisor and most notably Michael Flynn. Bloomberg Politics reporter Sahil Kapoor. McConnell will be on Bloomberg Radio and television to Tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Wall Street time for a one-on-one interview. President Trump says the White House is moving rapidly to find a replacement for Comey. He spoke as he met with another world leader at the Oval Office, Crown Prince Mohammed of Abu Dhabi. Great honor to have Sheikh Mohammed with us today. A man that I've known, very special, very special person, highly respected. Tomorrow, the president welcomes Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan for what could be a tense encounter, given Trump's decision to arm a Kurdish group in Syria that the Turks consider terrorists. And Roger Federer is skipping the French Open this year so he can focus on grass and hard courts. The 18-time Grand Slam champ posted a message on his website today titled, Roger to skip Roland Garros, and his agent confirms, yeah, it's true. Global News, powered by more than 2,600 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries.